0: We've been talking about, in the evenings, we've been talking about God's will, and day one we talked about God's will of decree, what he says happens because he's God, and he's got the power to make those things happen. Day two, yesterday, we talked about God's will of desire and what that is for us. His will of desire is that we might be reconciled to him and reconciled to one another. That is his overarching theme theme of Scripture. You see it from the Old Testament covenants through the New Testament covenant all the way into the new heaven and the new earth where there is nothing that separates us anymore. And tonight we're talking about God's will of direction. And God's will of direction is a mess. Trusting in God's will of decree well, that's just good. That's smart. Following his will of desire, that's obedience. But waiting for his will of direction is a mess. God has a plan for our lives. We, we think that. We think that's probably true. But the problem is we think he's going to tell us that wonderful plan before it unfolds, which God does not often do. You see, since God... Is in the business of opening doors. It would make sense that at times there would even be more than one door. Our lives are not a a a bunch of this or that decisions. Sometimes there's more than one door. Um, I'm sure none of you remember this, even though the, the show has come back on. There was a show when I was growing up called Let's Make a Deal. Have any of you ever heard of that? Nope. <laughs> Just... So All I got was just eyebrows going. Okay, well, there's this show called Let's Make a Deal. And I don't remember what it did. I remember people had to wear costumes. But I do remember this. At the end, they always had three doors and they had to make a choice. And behind the three doors were two goats and a car. You didn't want to get a goat, by and large. Right? You wanted the car. So what would happen is... You would, they would say, which door would you like? And they would, um, they would choose a door. I'll take door number two. And so they would say, okay, then we're going to open one of the other doors. So they'd open door number one, and it would be a goat. And then they would say, do you want to stick with door number two or go with door number three? That's tricky. Tricky because now you're like, oh. And you think in your head, because you're bad at math like I am, 50-50. if I choose, if I change, I don't know, 50-50, but that's not true. Statistically, I was researching for this. I don't really care about math research. but, um, but, But this, I thought, was fascinating because they call this the Monty Hall problem. He was the host of the show. Statistically, if you're ever in this situation, and I don't know if you ever will be in this situation. It seems weird that you might be. But if you're ever in a situation where somebody says, which door would you like? And you go door number one and they go, okay, here's what's under door number two. Do you want to change? It may happen. I don't know. Change. Because the Monty Hall problem says that two thirds of the time, if you change, you'll get the car. Which is great unless you want the goat. Goat. And then you're out of luck. Anyway, it was a crazy show, but, um, but there, there were three doors that you had to choose. You had to go through these. Our lives are not just, you know, this or that door. Even though we, we approach a lot, a lot of what I said, I think I said this before, a lot of what you do as a pastor is help people figure out God's will in their lives, which is very difficult at times. Um, which door am I supposed to take? You see, these are tough questions that we all rub up against sooner or later. God has opened doors now, and it's our choice to walk through them. This is the time that we begin to look for signs, isn't it? Yes, this is what happens. We begin to say, okay, Lord, what would you have me do? And show me, tell me. Signs are tricky. Some people do this. They take their Bible and don't raise your hand if this is you. But some people go, Lord, I have a big decision to make. And so you get your Bible, which you have inevitably, you know, ignored for too long. You get your Bible and you hold it up and you go, Lord, I know you have a word for me. I know you're going to give me a sign. And you take both your hands away at the same time. And the Bible goes, right? And you go, Lord, what is it that you have for me? And you start reading the book of Numbers, <laughs> and realize nothing. He has nothing for me. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what that means, Lord. And Jehoshaphat begat Jeroboam begat those. those are those are names, not in the right order. I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, no, that's, that's a tough one, right? You leave your sign up to a miracle. I'm sure I'm sure that's what's going to happen. Lord, uh, you know, um, some people look into the world to see if certain things coincide. And if they do, it must be God's will. Well, I saw three blue cars, so God wants me to date the guy in the blue shirt. That's silly. Someone's laughing like, ha, ha. No one knows. He's talking about me. I did that. You shouldn't have worn a red shirt. I wouldn't have dated you. Um, Yeah, that's silly. It's it's probably silly, right? I mean, I would think that that's kind of ridiculous. But people do things like that. Some people get seriously passive aggressive about their signs. Um, If God wants this to happen, then he will make it happen. And if it doesn't happen, he didn't want it to happen. That's just passive aggressive looking for the will of God, right? Okay, God, you make it happen. That's not looking for God's will. That's just waiting for God to do it. Some people ask everyone that they respect and even those that they don't in order to get the wisdom that they need in order to make the decision. You've got that friend. I just don't know what I'm supposed to do. Uh, what do you want to do? I don't know. What should I do? And so you tell them and they go, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> My wife and I have an ongoing conversation. My wife changes the color of our house like... I don't know, every six days. Um, every time I walk into my house, I'm like, is this my home? <laughs> oh, there's my chair. It is. Um, but she always asks me. She always does. She's like, what, what color should we paint the house? And I'm like, I, blue. And she's like, no. I don't know, gray. Mm, I'm like, are you testing me? Is this what this is? But we do this sometimes, you know? Girls do it to guys a lot more. Does this dress make me look fat? You know, there's only one answer to that. What? It's the only answer. Huh? Because that's what guys do when they don't know the answer. They just kill time and they basically act like they don't speak English anymore. Do Do these shoes go with this dress? Huh? What now? I don't speak that language. I don't know what I'm supposed to say. you just always go, I think you're beautiful. I think you're, I'm, you're beautiful. I love you. Don't talk to me anymore. (laughs) Um, Signs are tricky. Signs are tricky because oftentimes they're left up to interpretation right? I told you the story of me waiting at a stoplight with my dad and waiting for the light to turn green, thinking that that would be God's will. One of the other things I used to do when I was little is that I would stand outside my room and pray that if God wanted something to happen, he would clean my room. Listen, I figure if it's going to be a miracle, let's let it benefit me, right? I mean, I guess I could have said, you know, heal the kid next door, but I wanted my room clean. So, um, So I would stand there and say, Lord, you know, if you're God, if you're real, if you're there, if you have a will for my life, clean my room. (laughs) And the the jazz hands help. Um, (laughs) Clean my room. So I'd open the door. Lord, perhaps you weren't listening. (laughs) We need to talk. Um, I, I I remember watching some television show somewhere, and the guy was praying to God. God, I need a sign. Lord, I need a sign. And then the teapot goes off. And he goes... What does it mean? <laughs> That's the problem with signs, right? We don't really know what they mean. And, and so they're left up to interpretation, and we can sometimes interpret them correctly, maybe incorrectly, or maybe they're not signs at all. And if we're not careful, we see signs everywhere. Have you ever noticed when you buy a car, you didn't think that car existed on the road, and you thought you were like, you were the only person with that car, and then you buy it, and you realize every second person has that same car? Have you ever had that happen? Okay, I made a mistake one time. I was an adult male and I bought a PT Cruiser. Did you guys have those out here? Okay, that's an old lady car, but no one told me. (laughs) I did not know. I was like, I'm getting a PT Cruiser. This is going to be awesome. Woo, this is great. I get in the car, I start driving, and I realize there's lots of these on the road. Well, they're an affordable car. They get pretty decent gas mileage, no problem. And I'm driving, then I'm realizing I am the only male in my 20s That is driving this car. And literally I was driving by old ladies and they were like, (laughs) and I was like, no, why are you driving that car? And they're like, I don't understand. And I'm like, I don't, we're not talking. We're on the freeway. This is not really a conversation that we're having at all. This is me feeling bad about buying the same car. And they're like, I don't What? okay. I like kitties. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't know what that means. I'm a young vibrant male driving this PT cruiser. I remember getting home. I was like, what, what happened to you? And I was like, I don't know. I, I left a man and I came back this, <laughs> I don't even have to shave anymore. I don't know what, want- Driving a PT Cruiser. But, but if you're not careful, you see signs everywhere. This is what happens when every generation reads the book of Revelation. You understand that, right? We make a big mistake with the book of Revelation. The biggest mistake of the book of Revelation is that you think it's prophecy. It's not prophecy. The book of Revelation is apocalypsis. It's an apocalyptic literature that is supposed to show you the signs of the time, the end of the world. Every generation that has read the book of Revelation looks around and starts seeing those signs. And you've seen those guys. they probably preached to you. And they're like, and this is connected to that, and it's connected to this, and it's connected to that, and it's connected. And tomorrow the earth dies. Right? You've you've seen people do that because they don't necessarily understand that every generation will see the end of the world in an apocalyptic kind of literature because that's what it's supposed to do. And if you're not careful, you'll go crazy. And you know people or you've been people who have read the book of Revelation and have started to get so freaked out because every single thing is a sign. And listen, this happens every time in, in... Where I live in California, every time there's a big earthquake, there's an earthquake and we're all like, "Uh, the big one's coming. The big one's coming. 8.0, 9.0. It's going to, we're going to fall off and Arizona is going to be beachfront property. (laughs) That's exactly what's going to happen. If you remember, that was the plot of the first Superman movie. You don't remember because you were not born because there was a time when Superman didn't have real muscles. I mean, he didn't have muscles. The Superman now, I don't know why I'm talking about this. <laughs> Nobody cares. But I was watching the movie on the plane. He's got muscles. Superman doesn't need muscles. Because gravity doesn't work on him. So Superman wouldn't have muscles. Superman would look like me. And if we were really Superman, he looked like super sink and super scrawny like Sam Lenore. Do you know him? <laughs> Except not such a big head. I don't mean that metaphorically. Like, I mean it like circumference wise. Couldn't fit in a PT cruiser. I know that. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. At all. I'm going to have to talk about Patty McCoy pretty soon, so we'll get there. Um, So, if we're not careful, we'll see signs everywhere. And here's the problem with signs as well or looking for signs. If you don't get one, you get mad. You get mad at God. I've got a friend who has this amazing deconversion story. And I mean, it's amazing. It's him being in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean with one other guy. They're delivering a boat. To um, Denmark. I mean, he's, he's kind of this kind of guy. And, and uh, him talking to the weather guy on his satellite phone and the weather guy saying, where are you now? Those are your coordinates. You need to call your families because you're going to die. His friend starts praying and he says, if God's going to take care of me, he's going to show up. I'm not going to pray. They survive. One guy now, fully Christian. This guy, nope, he didn't get one, and he was mad at God. And I was like, don't you think, like, surviving this perfect storm? And he's like, nope, mad at God because he didn't get the one. But we go further than that. If we don't get the one you want, if you don't get the sign you want, then you get mad. Because the problem is, most of the time when people ask me about what God's will is in their lives, what they're looking for is affirmation for something that they've already already decided. And and that's just not, I can't do that. I'm not a sign to affirm what you've already decided. God's will, I'm not sure it works like that. And then the, the last thing with signs is when we don't get signs or we don't get the idea of the perfect door, we begin to feel disappointed because God hasn't shown up and given us the perfect thing. And so in the midst of looking for God's will of direction, we get into a mess. There was a guy in Scripture who had God's will of direction, and it was interesting what he did with it. Turn with me, if you will, to Judges 6. It's the story of Gideon. It's the story that you all know. But we often get the order very confused in the book of Gideon. It says this, One day the angel of God came and sat down under an, the oak in Ophrah. That, and that's not Oprah. Ophrah and began, that belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, whose son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. Now we already know there's a problem. Midian had taken over Israel. Right, Midian. It said it said there were there were countless camels. When they talked about the Midianites earlier on in the text, it said they had countless camels. What they were saying is that Israel was overrun and almost completely decimated by the Midianites. Right, so Israel was in a bad state. We also know that Gideon was hiding. Why was Gideon hiding? Because you don't thresh wheat in a wine press. Apparently, you need a lot of kind of real estate to thresh wheat because you throw it up in the air and the chaff blows away. And in a wine press, you don't have that. So we know that Gideon was hiding. He was out of sight of the Midianites. The angel of God appeared to him and said, and oftentimes people think that it wasn't necessarily the angel of God, but this was actually kind of, this was Jesus showing up pre-incarnation to talk. To Gideon, the angel of God appeared to him and said, God is with you, O oh mighty warrior, which is a dumb statement for God to make. But he was forecasting. This is Gideon hiding in a wine press, threshing wheat. And God says, mighty warrior. And even Gideon is like, what? Gideon says, with me, my master? Because he says, oh, O oh mighty warrior, God is with you. And he goes, with me? Ah. I think so. If God is with us, why has all this happened to us? You know what happens when you encounter God? When you encounter God, you have to ask him the big question that's on your mind. We see it with the woman in the well. In John four, we see it. Jesus says, "Do you know who I am?" And she goes, "Oh, you know something." And then she asks him where the Samaritans should be worshiping. She has this lifelong question. When you recognize who Jesus is, there's some questions that you want to ask. And Gideon does the same thing. Gideon says, with me, my master, if God is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the miracles, wonders our parents and grandparents told us about? Telling us, didn't God deliver us from Egypt? The fact is, God has nothing to do with us. He's turned us over to Midian. But God faced him Directly, and because of the a bit of confusion in that language, that's one of the reasons why they think this might have been the pre-incarnate Jesus who was talking to him, not just an angel. But I, I'm not sure that's the point of the story. But God faced him directly. Go in the strength, in the might that is yours. Save Israel from Midian. Haven't I just sent you, man? He doesn't know what to do. And it's interesting that God says, go in the strength or go in the might that is yours. You see, this is a theophany that he has. Gideon is encountering Jesus. And Jesus is saying, I know you. I know the strength that you have, even though it doesn't seem like you have much. In fact, it doesn't seem like you have much at all. But go in the might that is yours. Save Israel from Midian, haven't I just sent you? So it it behooves us to say what kind of might, what kind of strength did Gideon have? Well, Gideon had the might of the humble. He was threshing wheat on the winepress floor. Sometimes God's will of direction is that you do the most menial thing because it's humbling. I worked at a church that had 15 pastors. I had four people under me that weren't even on pastoral staff for my young adult ministry. I left, I went and worked in healthcare, and then I came back to a church where I am the sole pastor. You know what I have to do sometimes? Fix sinks. Vacuum up the church. Throw out the trash. Sometimes God's will and direction of direction in my life is the most menial thing, the most humble task, because it keeps me Human. It's not just me standing up, having people listening to me and making me feel good about myself. Sometimes it's me underneath a sink realizing I don't know how to put in a garbage disposal. I better figure that out. Gideon says, Me, my master? How and with what could I ever save Israel? He knows. Look at me. My clan's the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the run to the litter. That's not I it's not me. And God said to him, I'll be with you. Believe me, you'll defeat Midian as one man. He says, listen, there's only one guy out there that you have to beat, and all of Midian will fall. That's what he was saying. And then Gideon says, and this is interesting, he says, if you're serious about this, do me a favor. Give me a sign to back up what you're telling me. Don't leave until I come back and bring you my gift. And I love this next phrase. God says, okay, I'll wait till you get back. (laughs) It's so like, okay, okay. Sounds good. You know, we're often told not to test God, but but God was asking Gideon something significant, and Gideon wanted to know that God was serious. I'm not going to go through the rest of the text because we could spend another hour doing this. But what I will tell you is this: God made a promise at the very beginning, which He said, "I want you to save Israel, Gideon, and by the way, I'll be with you." Gideon is a man of little faith, a little faith. He kept asking God for signs, because he wasn't sure God believe, he wasn't sure he believed in God. What Gideon didn't understand was that God believed in him more than Gideon believed in God. God knew who He was asking, and God knew what he would do with the one he was asking. Gideon was constantly, even getting a direct word from God, he's still like, are you sure? I want to know that you're serious. And so the first sign was actually not the fleece. That comes way later. After Gideon had actually built an army, he's still like, Lord, I don't really know if this is right. I'm not sure. Give me a sign. And God was willing to give him a sign. Sometimes God will be willing to give you a sign in your life. And it will be clear. And you'll do it. And praise God for it. Sometimes God will give you a sign. And it will be clear. And you won't do it. Stupid, silly people. Because you'll do it. It's just going to take you a lot longer. Have you ever heard the story of Jonah? Yeah. God's like, "Uh go for it. See how far you can get. Same thing with us. Maybe. Rather than constantly looking for signs. We should trust that God believes in us. And we should maybe believe in him just a little bit more than we do. Sometimes. It's not about the affirmation of calling. Sometimes it's just about stepping out in faith. There are times when people walk into my office and they begin to ask me questions and I don't have the right answers for them. I don't. I don't have what I'm supposed to say. And I will say this to the Lord in my head. I'll say, God, I'm going to start talking now. And you've said that you'll be with me and you'll be faithful to me. I don't have the wisdom this person needs. These better be your words. And I will just start talking. And I will think in the midst of my talking, this doesn't make any sense. And inevitably, at the end of those conversations, the person says, Thank you so much. I heard the word of God in you. And I'm thinking, I am so glad you did. Because I don't know what I just said. We're going to look for God's will of directions. That's okay. That's right. We're going to ask God for signs. That's okay. And that's right. But don't get all weird with it. Don't get all crazy with it. Don't stop moving because God hasn't shown you clearly what's supposed to happen. Sometimes your call will be confirmed in community. Everyone will look at you and go, duh, we all thought you were supposed to do that. You know, this happens all the time when you're dating people, you're dating the wrong person and your friends are like, Hey, yeah, that's something. Yep. You guys, that's a, that's a couple, <laughs> couple of people right there. Cause you know, you don't want to be mean to the person. Like you're an idiot. You need to stop this. You two are toxic to each other, but then you start dating the right person and the whole community praises God and goes, yeah, yeah, this is so good. This is so right. When you guys get married, when your parents say that, when you get married, I remember the first date I went with my wife, I come home my dad goes, so when you get married, I'm like, To who? (laughs) To that girl? I don't know. It was two months later. (laughs) Because sometimes your call is confirmed in community. Your direction is confirmed in community. And sometimes it's not. Sometimes God will be absolutely silent. You know why? Because he wants you to grow in character as you decide. Sometimes God doesn't care which direction you go. And the reason why he doesn't care is because he can handle whatever direction you decide. Because God has this perfect GPS and he knows how to reroute so that his will is done. We could go on and on. Tomorrow we're talking about God's will of design. But I want you, those of you who have gotten crazy looking for the signs, to relax a little bit. To know that God's got this. He believes in you. Believe in him. You will find yourself exactly where you're supposed to be. And when it's dead silent and none of the answers that your friends have or the people you respect have seem to be answering the question, it's okay. You might have to just decide, step through a door, become the person that God wants you to become. And even if it's the wrong door, it's entirely possible that God will go, I'm so glad you learned. Step back, I've got another door for you.